and welcome. I'm Steve. And I'm Al. And I'm Brett. And this is Fools with Tools, a podcast for the traitorous Tapley. Gentlemen, how are we? How is everyone? Al, you have a massive honour behind you. So, how are you? What have you been up to? Why have I you got honoured? Honored. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, um, for, for those visual, no, non-visual listeners, uh, it's because Al's background is currently set to honour's face, and it's <laughs> beautiful. I thought there was only one way to to top the taper from last, last week. <laughs> um, as is tradition, when we haven't spoken for two weeks, I've bought a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus God. Christ. What what car have you bought this time? I'll, I'll give you one guess, Steve, what car I bought this time. Is it a Vitara? It's a Vitara. Or what I like to call the last Vitara. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said that last time as well. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. About talking of lasts, um, I did a uh, a vehicle check on the Peugeot that I bought, and there are only mm-hmm. two left in the UK Ooh. registered. So this kind of made me change my opinion and attitude towards that car, and I might have to start thinking about looking after it and respecting yeah. it and restoring it. Like Concourse um, sort of thing. The retire on the other hand, a tenner <laughs> penny, and I bought a fifth one. Um, and Five. unseen off Facebook... Uh, and basically, the um, the guy went to pick it up with the truck because it was down in Kent, yeah, which is the arse end of England. Um, and the, the the guy on Facebook, as usual, was being a bit dodgy, being a bit, yeah, you know, the spelling was uh, not important mm-hmm. when when writing sentences, and you, you kind of couldn't get the idea of what was going on. And then he was like. Uh, so you are you are you coming down with the cash? I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. Like, I live at the other end of the country. You're not getting cash for this thing I'm buying off Facebook. Yeah. Um, and anyway, and so they get so the, the 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 pickup guy was like ringing me up. He couldn't find the place. The guy wasn't answering his phone. And then it, it basically goes, "Have you seen that scene in Snatch where uh, yep. Tommy goes to buy a caravan?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. So basically, he just spent, he just spent the evening just trying to get kids like out of his van. Oh <laughs> my God. Next <laughs> Brilliant. But it arrived. Um, but it's 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 in better days. Um, yeah. It, it, I basically bought it for parts. Yeah. Um, so it's going to get stripped. But um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a gamble, but one that did not pay off. It, isn't it? The vehicle is is never going to be roadworthy again. But it has got some good parts on it, so it, yeah. it's worth it. Nice. It's going to get stripped, and in the meantime, I um, stripped out one of the other cars, took out the engine, took out the wiring loom, and have now got a newfound respect for automotive electricians. Yeah, right. Because under no circumstances do I ever want to go near wiring loom ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I, when I, I thought. Uh... I thought. I thought finding a fault in a wire and maybe soldering something up and splicing or patching something in was quite simple in a car. Yeah. Until you remove the dashboard. Yeah. <laughs> and bear in mind, I... this is on a 30-year-old car, so I fucking hate to think what it's like now. Yeah, right? I remember taking the... Uh, when I got the Range Rover for the engine for the truck, mm. I remember taking the body off of that and like being left with this just mess of wires and just looking at it. <laughs> looking at my uh, godfather, who's helping me do it at the time, 
and kind of being like, what the hell do I do with all this? And he just went, oh, it's quite simple. Came along with a pair of snips and went, snip, 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 snip. Cut <laughs> everything off and just went... I, I, I wish I had the, the nerve to do that because at yeah. the minute I don't know which bits will make the car go. Well, this is the, neither do I. He was like, oh, if it becomes a problem, we just run it off of carbs. I was like, that doesn't help. Oh, good old. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so other than buying more cars, anything else that you've been up to? <laughs> Uh, had my first holiday in five years. Yay! With the cat. <laughs> went to Spain. Oh, really? Very nice, yeah. Went to Madrid nice. uh, and Cadiz in the south, which was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, lots of amazing food. Um, it wasn't offensively hot because it's September, so it was yeah. bearable. Um, went to Gibraltar. Oh, very nice. shit. Don't go to Gibraltar. <laughs> it's just an airport. Yeah. It's and it's like Blackpool because it's England. <laughs> I mean, I uh, I very much want to ask you about all of the food, but um, oh. might might have to take that off air because I'm going to get overexcited. Um, but uh, I yeah, ate, I, ate, I, ate, I ate so much food, but didn't shit for a week, and I <laughs> and I don't know if that's a testament to the excessive amount of eggs that the Spanish eat. <laughs> Did you get a little bit egg bound or cured meats? Oh. Mm. <laughs> Salty meats. Yeah. But safe to say, someone who cleans the toilets in Gibraltar Airport is not going to have a good day. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, lovely. Um, well, moving on from that discussion. That's so hard to follow up. Yep. I mean, I just, just don't feel like that. Bra- yeah, Brad, <laughs> just one how poops been? <laughs> regular as per usual. Uh... Right, anyway, as far as updates go, uh, the main thing that's been going on over the last couple of weeks is I spent most of the evenings during the very last set of heat wave weather that we had coming through, working over at Ryan's and finishing the Big Boy Anchor for the yes. Coal Iron video. Which looks <clears throat> had a, great, by the way. Thank you. I'm quite happy with it. Um, yeah, I, I'm... Now in the process of editing the footage, but it's been so long since I've sat down and done a big edit, especially mm. it's the fact that it's going on their channel. I have to be a bit yeah. more mindful on, <clears throat> I'm not going to say it's without silliness. I'm having yeah. fun with what I'm doing, but there are certain aspects of it that need to be adhered to, right? Like, cause this yeah. is for their audience. I need to talk about a few things I shot. Uh, talking head stuff yesterday on camera. I've got beauty shots still left to do, but uh, I'll do that this evening probably. Anyway, it turned out great. I'm very happy with it. It is, you know, a little bit more sculptural or aesthetically pleasing than an anchor should be with kind of drawn out and longer proportions and stuff. But what I'm hoping is that I can send them the file today and then possibly by the next episode... It'll be out on their channel. I don't know how their schedule yeah. is going to work out, but I had a really good talk with David. Nice. They're super excited because they sent them a few photos, and everyone, in in all honesty, David was like, "I'm just really happy we're going to get something that's not a knife or a sword because <laughs> that's what they do, you know." And yeah. no offense to their audience or their user base, because the people that use their machines that make absolute works of art. It's fantastic. And I love yeah. Knives and Swords. I love all the stuff they've done. But yeah, it was fun to use their machine and not just make a billet of Damascus and then yeah. cut something out on it. So, 
that's been the main situation. I have worked more on the little backyard patio stuff, just as far as house stuff goes. Um, it looks quite nice out there, but I need to pour some concrete little pavers and things like that if I want to make it into a proper little seating area. That's been quite nice. Um, my hair, you guys keep calling it a hair. I'm still convinced that hair is not the same as a jackrabbit because it's <laughs> desert dwelling versus whatever your country bullshit is. Um, it's a desert hair. No, I don't agree with that. Um, Sir Thomas came back, uh, who's my little jackrabbit friend that hangs out in my front. I've got all the Garys in the world, and now for some reason it's the season of praying manti. And I have praying mantises <laughs> all over the place. So it's been a really interesting couple of weeks of late nights, long nights, editing. Um, but feeling like I'm getting back into the groove before leaving town for seeing Steve, I guess. I don't know. Yay! That's the only thing I'm planning on. <laughs> Steve, I, I guess. I just want to be able to slap <laughs> Steve's face. But that's it for me, Steve. The real, the real uh, important aspect of this episode is what the fuck have you been up to? Because every day seems to be filled with nonsense. Yeah, I have been up to so much, so, so much uh, since being here. So, like, the the initial idea was that this was going to be a kind of nice, chilled out, relaxing sort of time. Spend some time with Chris and it was going to be chilled out. And that has very much not been the case. Um, but it's been really good. So th- this is actually being recorded on Wednesday. Normally we would record on a Tuesday. Uh, and we couldn't record Tuesday this week because we had to go to New York to, as in New York City, to deliver a vice stand, um, which was a, I think it was like an 11 hour drive in total. Um, and it was literally a case of, um, God, fucking hairs. Uh, it was literally a case of drive up, um, drop the, the, the vice off. We stayed in the guy's workshop for less than 10 minutes um turned around and came back but the guy's workshop was awesome because he um his guy uh on instagram um i think it's just steel structure or steel sculpture sorry um uh and he's creating these like huge like 20 foot sculptures in what is essentially like a one car garage sort of size shop um that's just down this little uh, alleyway in the middle of New York City um, it, like completely tucked out of the way in the ghetto sort of thing but it was incredible and like e- even just with what he was working on at the time it was completely cramped in there and it was super inspiring to see someone creating like these amazing pieces in such a small sh- space um, but yeah that was uh, that was just yesterday's and that was again that was last minute the guy rang Chris and was like I've been trying to get a hold of one for years what will it take for you to just deliver it? Because um, we couldn't get anyone that would actually deliver down there. Um, so there was that. Uh, but since we last recorded, uh, the the first thing, like the first major thing that I did was going to CMA. Uh, nice. the Center for, Center for Metal Arts, which was fucking incredible. Like it was, it was the one thing that I really, really wanted to, to go and see. So originally original plan before I quit my job was that I was going to come out here for two weeks um, so come and see Chris and basically go up to CMA just to have a look around um, but because there was the Cambria Iron Conference going on at the same time we took that as an opportunity to go up and, and have a look around and the Cambria Iron Conference is 
basically um, just uh, it's like an open house where they're going to be doing forging some some artwork on the big Chambersburgs, um, which are these huge like ten thousand pound no not ten thousand pounds several two thousand pound uh hammer um they've got a three thousand pound hammer as well and i think the big uh arch one i think that's ten thousand pounds but that's in a separate room and not working um but yeah getting to see them forging on these like it's half a ton of no in fact that's a ton of power hammer just going and the the coolest thing about it is because anyone that's ever worked with a like a traditional power hammer whether it's a um a mechanical or a pneumatic one or self-contained pneumatic one will know that there's quite a lot of noise from power hammers just from like literally just the the gears turning sort of mm-hmm. thing um but, but because these ones are utility hammers they work off of a reserve of air that's external to the the hammer itself so because of the sheer size of these the um like the air reserves are in a different room in a different area so when the pa- when the hammer's running you hear nothing <laughs> and um it's just every now and then it, the, when they actually do it it's just <laughs> and that's all you hear and oh it was fucking awesome um and like seeing these huge chunks of metal just go squish underneath was like impressive i mean like for those of you that don't know what uh, the CMA is, it's um, it's an old uh, iron foundry, and the the blacksmith shop that they're working in um, was essentially just the repair shop for the the iron foundry, um, and they've got all these huge hammers in there. And most of what they were making was just like repairing machinery and these giant hooks that they were using to to move the steel around as it was getting made. Um, but it's been taken over by Pat Quinn as kind of a um I don't quite know how to describe it like just as a as an amazing um not not even living museum but just a space to to keep the art alive uh, or keep the craft alive um and it's being used by a bunch of different uh artists and blacksmiths as a space to go and create stuff run classes and things like that so there's a a few of the blacksmiths that we talk about all the time have done classes up there um i'd really really like to attend a couple of classes there one day but we'll see um and they do like internships there and all sorts and it's it's incredible um they've even got a a separate art gallery in one of the other buildings where you can go and you can see all this forged artwork which was super super inspiring um and just like it, it the whole thing was kind of overwhelming Plus, then you add on the fact that because it was a a big event up there, there was a bunch of other blacksmiths there. So there's all these blacksmiths that I've got huge respect for, and that you know, that, like these heroes of blacksmithing that are just there, just hanging out, just doing their own thing, like just chilling, and getting to meet all of them as well. But at the same time, being like, I'm kind of overwhelmed by everything, but it's really nice to meet you. Was uh, yeah, it was great. It was it was such a a good experience um, to be able to do that i just really like to go back again like now that i'm uh, a little less um enamored by it all <laughs> giddy um, yeah exactly yeah. Right, you know actually be able to ask questions and hold conversations rather than just going hi this thing's <laughs> fucking awesome 
because uh, that's basically all I was doing this time around. Um, but yeah, I did that. Uh, got to meet a bunch of people. Um, and then came back and we planned on doing, um, like cleaning up some vices to sell and doing some other bits um, that, uh, like that next week, because that was on the Saturday. And then we had a nice chilled out Sunday. And then the plan was that week we were going to work on a load of stuff. But um, the other thing that I kind of alluded to in the last one, last podcast, was the fact that Chris had bought this, um, bought out this uh, other um, blacksmith shop, this metalworking shop. Um, and essentially, Chris got the phone call saying that there was a, um, a, a particular hammer that he was after was for sale at this at this place, but it was only the hammer that he was um, being told about sort of thing. And he said, oh, is, is there anything else for sale? And he said, oh, no, no, just the hammer, just the hammer. So we ended up going down and there's huge amounts of equipment still there. I mean, this place has already been gutted, but there's still these big, chunky bits of equipment that are there that the guys are just like, yeah, this stuff's all going for scrap unless someone buys it. So if you want to buy it, go for it. Um, and there was... Uh, like a, a massive iron worker, um, two punch presses, uh, the world's largest drill press. Um, they, th- this thing was insane. I don't know if you guys saw the the photos on Instagram, but it, it's it, it's like a a full size lathe that's just been turned vertical. It's fucking nuts. Um, so we went down and we've done uh, picked up all the equipment from there and brought it back, um, including this power hammer. So they had a couple of other power hammers there. There was a um, Sahindler that uh, was going to their other workshop. There was a Nazel that someone else had already bought and led down outside that hadn't moved since it was purchased in, I think, in the 90s or something, was a 750-pound Chambersburg that uh, Chris has now got. So this is basically a slightly smaller version of the hammer that they had at the CMA. So it's that same utility hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is stunning. It's Chris's dream hammer. Um, the The weight on it, it was uh, like just the hammer body itself was almost uh, just over half a ton. Um, the anvil for it is uh, a ton as well, uh, half a ton as well. And I mean, it's it's ridiculous it's just this massive solid block of steel um uh, no wait hang on that ton can't be right it's ten thousand pounds basically each of them are ten thousand pounds whatever that is in that's five tons <laughs> yeah five tons yes because it's half close yeah, enough sorry. it's very close yeah to what you were 2.2 and uh yeah so these things are huge and ridiculously heavy and we had a nightmare trying to get them transported up here um did some very very sketchy maneuvers to get them unloaded and then pushed up round into the actual workshop um which was <laughs> that was an experience on its own um and that was a case of uh we had a an old trailer like a, a simple farm trailer sort of thing that we rested uh the head of the power hammer on and then had chris lifting up the back end with a uh, with the forklift because the forklift wasn't strong enough to lift up the whole thing plus like the sheer size of it the forklift just isn't big enough to pick up the whole thing so he's kind of like half lifting the back end and trying to maneuver it around whilst Matt sat in the pickup with the trailer hitched onto it so they're both trying to move as one <laughs> kind of snaking this thing around and me stood in the middle going yeah keep going keep going stop stop 
and then like being like right we just need to reset this and at one point like the, it was the trailer just kind of jackknife and without just going all the way back we're like well how can we get this to be in the right position so we just had like uh chris lifting the as much of the power hammer as he could with the forklift and then me and this other guy john just with a couple of pry bars just trying to heave the actual trailer over on the axe it was a absolute joke but we we got it moved it's there it's sat there and chris has said it doesn't matter if it's sat there for another five years now like it's on his property it's he he'd love to be able to get it upright so he can get it running but it's there that's all he cares about now he's he's super happy to have that um yeah that was it like i i genuinely feel honored to have um been able to be part of that but also just getting to, to see that was such a cool uh thing and experience and getting to see this this old um blacksmith shop down in whatever the town is down there about an hour away um in virginia um that was really cool as well because it was kind of a nice uh view onto how things are done here um what else did we do uh so the other thing uh is we had a um uh the blacksmith guild of central maryland i think um which is one of the local guilds um, and that's where a guy called Wally Yater is um, in charge of it. And Did you get to quite... meet Wally? Yeah, I got to meet Wally. I got to hang out Old with Wally. Wally. Um, and so Wally created a bunch of like swage blocks and different things and had them all cast. And he's, he's quite well known within blacksmithing. Um, super nice, super friendly guy. Um, getting on in years now, but still quite happily pick up a hammer and give most people a run for their money. Um, and uh, and yeah, so they were having this guild meeting, and unlike the the first day that I was here, I got to meet Aaron, which is one of um, uh, Chris's friends, and um, like he was saying about the guild meeting and all this, and I was like, oh, that'd be really cool, that'd be really cool. And I think originally they were supposed to be getting Cliff and John to go along and do a um, a demonstration, and for some reason or another, they had to bail, um, and. Uh, and Chris kind of just said to her, like, oh, yeah, Steve will do it. And uh, he was like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, yeah, And I was just there like, <laughs> yeah, of course I can, uh, thinking that Chris was joking. And he wasn't joking. Um, <laughs> so I ended up having to do a, a demonstration there. And it all I did was make nails because it's been a very long time since I've done any blacksmithing. Um, and I just kind of talked about working in a production shop, um, the differences between like UK and American blacksmithing culture the kind of some of the preconceptions that i think a lot of um the american smiths have about british blacksmithing and like demystifying some of that um and also just the fact that the kind of production blacksmithing isn't as necessarily glamorous as everyone thinks it is um and like what we're actually doing and the fact that i haven't done um any forging for a while despite working in a, a blacksmithing environment um and also the nails and talked about why we do the nails why we did them in a vice rather than using a nail header um and all of this and it was it was really good fun it was um it was nerve-wracking and i'm definitely very out of practice for that but it was still um an enjoyable experience getting to to do that and then matt actually did a, a demonstration after it and that was on um engraving because matt's been doing um um, he's just started doing engraving and it, basically his demonstration was just demystifying um, that and just kind of like a real 
basic overview of engraving, how you do it. Um, it's it's like, still it's still black magic. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> um, percent. But like, just getting to see that was really good. And like for me, because I, I I really want to do a bit of engraving. Mm. Um, so I think me and Matt might end up having like a little one-on-one session at some point of um, of that because it's like it is quite a I don't want to say simple process but it's the same as like blacksmithing like it's a really simple process when you know what you're doing um, but getting into it is uh, is a bit scary but it was again it was really nice seeing that done and everyone seemed to respond really well to that as well um, but yeah just the the guild house itself was this like quite large quite it's not long been there like it's quite large quite new um, place there was you know, half a dozen forges down one side for students um, a main forge in the middle of the room for that and it was it's had quite a like that that experience not necessarily the actual demonstration but just going there and seeing the um, the way that it was drawing people in from the community whether that was blacksmiths or just people in the local community like local people just coming along just to see what was going on um, was really inspiring and it's made me kind of go actually that's what we should be doing more of and I think um, like it it kind of showed me the benefits of being part of a guild because it's really easy to um, to to kind of scoff at when people go oh you, you want to join a guild especially with some of the blacksmithing guilds back home there's very little to no benefit um, on the face of it um, and it's like well why would I bother giving up my time to go and do that um, and just seeing the way that they um, the way that they kind of supported each other and the way that they shared that information um, and like the benefits you can get from it and the, the sense of community and also like seeing like little deals and things like that coming together because it's like someone's there and they're saying oh I yeah, I've just got this thing, but I'm I need this other thing to get it working, or I'm working on this project and I'm not quite sure how to do this. And someone else being like, "Ah, oh, well, I can help you out there. Or I've got this, or whatever." And like that, it's just it. It's having those people there to talk to and bounce ideas off, and those kind of friendships where you can. It's not even about asking someone for something. It's just saying I've got a problem and having other people around to help solve that problem. If that makes sense. Um, and yeah I think it's kind of made me want to get more involved with those back home whether it's getting involved with one that's already running or maybe setting one up um, and I think like those kind of things though they, they don't happen without putting a lot of hard work into um, but I think that that payoff is um, is super beneficial and I think it's, it's totally worth putting that work into it um, kind of like with a makerspace or something like that like makerspaces like if you don't put work into them and if you don't um put the effort in then they they close down and, and they get get gotten rid of and they don't they don't work but if uh if you put the work in and if you commit to it then you can get so much out of it i, th- I think it also needs that sort of diversity or fresh thinking or something as well because like yeah, i'm the same as you when i hear the word guild i think like Masons or something that's like yeah, you know, secret handshakes and yeah, it's just keeping the keeping the ways how we always kept them and, <laughs> and like you say, you're not quite sure if it's a scam you joined in or something. <laughs> yeah, but, but when I when I think of like a collective, 
or, or like a group of artists or something that are doing something and bouncing ideas off and, and pushing each other and learning new techniques and stuff. Yeah, then it becomes super valuable. Um, I mean, the makerspace thing. Yeah, the, the the one I used to go to in Leeds closed down, and the 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 biggest issue I had there is that the people that were running it and the people that were mainly using it were only into one thing, mm. and that was their thing. And when anyone came in like me, wanted to do something different, and I was like, "Oh, where's this? And where's those tools? And like, oh, can I get that out the back and dust it off?" And, and they're just yeah. like, "Oh no, no, that's not how we do it around here." And yeah, it's like, well, you never. What's the point in this space then? Yeah, just do these things at home. You know what I mean? And yeah, invite yeah. your mates around. Um, there was a place down in Bristol that I went to called um, Pervasive Media. It was in the watershed. Oh yeah. So there's a, so there's a great big um, warehouse, I guess, down yeah. by the down by the canal. Um, in Bristol, and the um, it's got like a cinema in and recording studios, and it's kind of like a, this creative space where things is happening. Um, but there's a dedicated space called Pervasive Media, and basically you get a, um, a residency there, and you obviously have to apply for one and show that you've yeah. got ideas and you're going to do something interesting. Um, and you don't pay for it. The, the, the currency, basically, of working in this place is you... Um, you just have to offer help. And the idea is that everybody in there has different skill sets. So yeah. they, they haven't just put 10 traditional blacksmiths in one place who only have yeah, yeah. passion and the same, you know, projects in mind. It's, it's musicians, uh, you know, ceramicists, kind of like our maker community. Yeah. But they're in physically in one space and you, you, you just, you just, you just have to offer your services and knowledge uh, mm. and passion. Yeah. Whenever it's called upon, and it just felt like a really, really great way of 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 pushing each other and making the most of that kind of yeah guild for want of a better yeah. word. Yeah, because I think I remember you speaking about that before, presumably when you actually did it. Um, but I kind of love that idea, and like one of the things that I've found from being here and working and meeting the people that I've met and working with the people that we work with and. And kind of seeing what they do and seeing the kind of stuff they've created is um i uh i'm sorry i'm just getting attacked by stella the dog um but uh like i i've talked about it on here before about like not wanting to do art and not wanting to do sculpture and things like that because it's not something that i'm comfortable with but i think as much as anything like that's because i'm not exposed to a lot of it um and having seen some of the stuff that's been done here and like seeing the stuff that's being created by the people it's and again with with cma and you know we went down to um in this town there's a couple of sculptures that chris has done and that tetsu has done and um it's been super inspiring and seeing people from other crafts like obviously maker camp next next week like that's getting to work with a bunch of really fucking cool people and getting to hang out and see what they're doing and seeing that other media is really inspiring and it's making me want to do more of that sort of stuff so I think like when I get home I'm going to try exploring that aspect of this craft a a bit Mm. but to kind of go back to what you were saying Al like I think working with all of those other people from other crafts and other disciplines it's super fucking inspiring because they'll look at things that you and they'll look at things in a way that you don't I mean I've said the same about teaching like someone that knows nothing about the craft can come up with some amazing ways of doing things that someone that's that's already 
doing it for ages won't necessarily think of um so yeah i think like having uh those other people around not just to to hit up when you need a bit of specific help but also that kind of that non-specific help because it's easy to just quickly google like i need someone that can weld or i need someone that can do this or i need someone that can do that but having those people there and actually being able to engage in a conversation and kind of have that that less um direct discussion and just yeah. bounce ideas around i think that's a really really good creative space to be in yeah and we're, we're it's it's a time thing as always and it's like having yeah. that having that um at work we call it shower space where it's like you just stood in the shower thinking and nobody's bothering yeah. you and yeah. it's just having that freedom to go right freedom to fail freedom to fuck up and mess around like your fuck yeah. around fridays that kind of thing yeah. but you, you you touched on something there steve about the um the lack of glamour with production blacksmithing yeah but from my point of view there's merit in that as well because i for want of a better term I, i'm a commercial artist yeah so i i mass produce creativity <laughs> sort <laughs> of on a global scale for corporate yeah. gains yeah but it essentially is, you know, principles the same thing. You know, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. a fine artist focusing on one piece and taking a long time to craft it. I'm yeah. using those same skills to produce things uh, at volume and scale. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that 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 can't be a learning experience both ways. So, yeah. you know, the 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 artistic metal sculptor could learn a shitload from you because yeah. of your production knowledge yeah. whether it's through efficiencies or techniques or consistency you know th- th- there's it's not that one is more valuable in that environment and i think that's the, that's a mistake that there's a tendency to go to the most creative person or the mo- you know the most expressive person because yeah. that's where you're going to learn the most from it's like no i think i think everyone's got their different um value in that situation yeah i mean like that's why within like within our little kind of community everyone that needs a new logo or something like that goes to you rather mm. than to you know, the, the most artistic person there. It's because yeah. you're, you're, that's a really specific skill set. And like you say, I think, because um, again, that was the, the kind of talk that I gave. That was, it was a lot of that conversation going on of the fact that, you know, yes, because we're a production blacksmith, we, um, we were spending a lot of time going, actually this task takes 20 minutes. Mm. If I spend half a day and I make a jig, I can make this task take five minutes over the course of time. Like that's that's going to save me time. And those those jigs and those processes and things like taking that step back is a really good way to increase efficiency. And if um, if you're kind of doing a, a one-off project and you're like, oh well, I've got fifty of these to make, so I'm just going to make fifty. Whereas <laughs> from a production point of view, it's like I've got fifty of these to make. How can I make these in the shortest time, but like the most efficient way possible? Um, and like that that balancing act of like well actually it's only like it's a quick taper I don't need to jig it up like I'll just do it and it's quicker to do it that mm. or whether it's like actually no it's worth spending the time on making that jig it's going to save me time in the long run or whatever um, so yeah I, th- I definitely think there's merit to having um, varying points of view on stuff like that speaking well, of I know, we've, I know we've talked about this what what is speaking of? Did you have something to say? No, no, he was pointing at you. Oh, varying points right. of view. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I I agree with the idea of having. You know, let's let's use the 
cliche term, but like this think tank, right? Where you have mm. a group of people, but they're not they're not put in the same room because they're the exact same person. Like nothing gets done. Yeah. Um, if you stick five people in the same room and think the same way, nothing new, nothing groundbreaking is really going to get done. Five times the results. <laughs> five times. And we've we've discussed this a little bit in the past in terms of like the maker castle or anytime we get together for an event or the 10 makers thing that we got to do where you just have all of that creativity in one place a lot of people with a lot of different um, skill sets and backgrounds can really lead to some unique exult unique results but also unique experiences right i can take um what i learned from the time in the forge which is very short but like I get to learn some process on making a hatchet head, and like mm. the process of punching and drifting, and how you do that order. And fast forward to working on this anchor. Now I knew from that experience, and <laughs> without having made really a, a shit ton of anchors, especially at this size, I knew that what needed to happen was sixty percent of a process here. Put that aside. Sixty percent on this piece put it aside and then they come back together and then we we like creep up on getting closer and closer Mm. to that finish right yeah that's not a technique that i would typically do in the past especially in um in my past jobs or when doing just traditional artwork you don't really creep up and and like jump back and forth and take those processes apart everything was just like a little additive painting you know it's additive 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 but now, because of this exposure I've had to other people and their approaches to problem solving, I know that things get deconstructed a little bit more, right? And even though I don't have those people in the same room, all of that information and data that's been shoved into my brain and that I've locked away, I'm able to pick it out and go, ooh, mm, no, you know what? Al told me about this thing one time when we were talking about electronics, so I know this is how this works. Or yeah. Uh, you know, there's tons of problem solving always going on with Jimmy, but I look back at uh, even further before making it into the, the maker community where we did random things at the exhibition hall company where we designed and printed and built things all the time. I would see guys work through efficiency because it was a union job. And so you had to be efficient. You had to hit delivery yeah. dates. But to their, I mean this in the nicest way possible, a lot of those guys were lifers yeah. and they just didn't want to have to do any extra work. So they figured out the most efficient way not to necessarily go, I can make a thousand of these in a day. Yeah. It was more, uh, I really only get paid for the time I'm working on this. And like, <laughs> if I could get off work three hours earlier, I'll just finish this thing now. And they figured out efficiencies to just go, oh yeah, we just run everything through all at once. And you're like, are you yeah. supposed to do that? And they're like, ah, the machine says it can't handle it, but it can. Yeah. <laughs> You like yeah. you learn a little bit. You go, okay, safety measures in place, but I see where your head's at, and I appreciate that. And you lock that away for the next usage. Yeah. Um, sorry, Stella's getting very excited at the moment. Um, yeah. No, I think that's a a, a really good um, kind of point, and I, I think as well, like it's not just about necessary techniques or efficiency, but like everything. I think like that um, that idea of uh, differing points of view is is a really um, it's a really good thing to have and like having those those other ideas around at all times well not actually at all times but like it, it can be quite helpful and it can really um, 
direct like where you go there's the whole thing about you know you are you are the sum of all of your experiences like there's no one single person or one single um thing that's like formed who you are like it's it's a culmination of all of that mm-hmm. and like, having traveled around a lot um and met a lot of people over the last couple of weeks like there's been some genuinely not necessarily like life-changing but like life affecting uh things that have been said and it's it's just passing comments and like talking to people about uh like why i'm here where i'm at at the moment what i've been doing myself where i plan on going next um and like hearing other people's kind of uh feedback on that and their ideas and how they got to where they are um and it's given me a lot to think about it's given me the opportunity to kind of go okay maybe i'm not crazy for thinking this or maybe i uh maybe i need to do more of that or whatever or even just being like actually you know what that's not important right now i don't need to worry about it i can concentrate on x rather than thinking about y and z at the same time um so yeah i think like that kind of having a nice kind of sphere of influence is a good thing sphere of influence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um, what this mostly makes me think about is you know exposing yourself to all of these different um adventures and and experiences but also the people specifically that you're referring to, I find that there's a certain skill set that has to be developed in terms of taking taking the positives as well as the negatives. Jesus, Stella, calm down. Like, what you gain and the experiences that you have with these people and the conversations that you have, they can be very life-affecting, as you said, right? But... I think we've kind of danced around this idea in the in the past episodes, but it's one thing to kind of open yourself up and accept all of that because you're on this crazy trip and you're like, I guess I'll just show up and see what happens at CMA and see who I talk to. You don't necessarily know if something life-affecting is going to happen that day, but how do you... How do you make sure you approach that kind of thing with a positive attitude and like an accepting attitude, you know, so you can really soak all that in without, I don't know, maybe overlooking it or pushing it aside and going, no, 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 I'm only at CMA to focus on the big giant power hammer. I'm not really going to talk to anybody else. And if somebody tries to talk to me while it's running, I'm just not going to listen to them. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you can. I think like, because I, like I said, I wish I could go back and redo the day at CMA just because I didn't get to speak to uh, the people as much as I wanted to because I was just overwhelmed by everything but I think as as much as anything it's it's accepting that you know sometimes that's okay and it's you don't have to um you don't have to get the most out of everything all the time you you can just go you know what I'm just going to go along and I'm going to experience that thing and that that be okay and not beat yourself up because you didn't do this or you didn't talk to them or you didn't change your life by meeting whoever like it's I I think just generally being open to listening to other people and not not assuming that because someone's you know because someone's really good and they're an amazing artist they're not going to want to speak to you or not want to joke about going for a beer or whatever but at the same time realizing that just because someone you know you meet someone and, and they they appear to be just some fucking redneck that likes going for a beer like realizing that they might actually have some good life lessons as well um and i think that's the thing is like these kind of like life lessons don't necessarily they don't go hand in hand with those huge experiences 
Um, so just because you're going to a big event or you're going to some great place doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have those discussions because um, they, they just like to happen when you're just sat out on the porch drinking a beer and or a water or a coffee or whatever um, and I think yeah just generally being open to having those discussions and listening to people I think I think that's the kind of you guys are such dicks uh, but like listening to people and being willing to be open and honest with yourself as well as with other people I think that's that's the key to it and that is Spiffy <laughs> Uh, in which case, Al, do you have an order? It's Bass. Oh, Bass. That's me. Which means, Brett, you are first. Yeah. So this was a suggestion on YouTube a couple of weeks back. And in those couple of weeks, this young man has completely exploded. And I found out after watching a few of his videos, he's actually had a big TikTok following which I'm still not interested in getting on that platform. But he was doing a bunch of... He's a young archaeologist, and he was into debunking a bunch of the bullshit videos ah, that exist on the internet. Mini Minute Man. Minute Man. Yes. Yeah. His name is he Milo. He's on TikTok, and he's brilliant on TikTok. Yeah, he's a super young guy, but very passionate about exposing... <laughs> I feel like we're, uh, we're going to go back to... What Al was saying, like, there are no truths. Nothing is true. <laughs> It'll all change in two years. So, yeah, there's there's even been videos that he's put out uh, just in the last couple of months where he's diving in a little bit more to, like, what does it mean that we found this one Mastodon because yeah. it actually places it 15,000 years different than what we thought. And that really screws stuff up timeline-wise. But yeah. seems very accepting and a little bit more. He's, like, young new thinker so based on all this stuff we were chatting about in this episode it's a new person in the room it feels like and especially with his youth it's really nice to see somebody young and passionate and not just another you know 60 or 70 year old person that's been doing it all their life i want to respect the older person because they've spent their entire life researching these things but Man, what a weird breath of fresh air that I did not expect because I do love archaeology and fossils and all kinds of old nonsense. But watching his videos have been really enjoyable because it's just he's just a young guy being like, yeah, yeah fuck those people. And it's yeah. hilarious. You never hear that. And because he's in full control of his content, then he, it doesn't matter. He has sponsors. He yeah. has worked with people recently. And like... He's getting paid to make content, but it's just a new point of view, and I have appreciated the videos I've watched so far. Yeah, no, his his stuff is really good. Like I say, I've uh, I've been following on TikTok for a while, and um, yeah, he's really good. He also did a, I think it was on on his YouTube channel. He did um, a exploration of an oh my god, Stella, would you stop? Uh, he did an exploration of like an old factory of some description um and he's into kind of like urban exploring and um yeah did this like 20 minute video on that where he like wandered up and yeah it was just it was fucking cool um so yeah good shout uh al you are next who would you like to spiff whilst i beat stella it's a re spiff um oh. as we all know and love the um 
fantastically disturbing YouTube channel that is Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Um, oh, well, there's yeah. a new series on Channel 4, uh, which was basically all released last Friday, all six episodes at once. For those in the UK, Stella. it's on all four. Stella. Go and watch it. It's as glorious as we we all knew it was last time around. Um, whole <laughs> new episodes, whole new things to learn and uh, yeah. be disturbed by. So, nice. all, all four. I don't know wh- how that is available in other countries, I'm afraid. I don't know how you get Channel 4 in other countries. But I think funny you mentioned Stella, that. This up. episode is sponsored by Nord NordVPN! Yeah. <laughs> um, a good chat, man. Like, I will look forward to watching that when I get back because I can't watch it. Because uh, you're not even in England. I'm not even in England. Um, but yeah, uh, good chat. I uh, am going to go with uh, someone that I can't remember. I think it might have been. It might have been Tetsu. <laughs> Stella, shut up. I will play with you in a minute. Um, uh, one sec. Hang on. Sorry. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll have to cut that bit out. Um, yes, I am going to spiff uh, someone that I think was recommended to me when I was at CMA. And it's a guy called Victor Macha, who is a uh, photographer um, who basically photographs like old steel mills and like big industrial um, places. Uh, let me see if I can just send you the thingy. So it's. Uh, he thought it was really, really like anxious for me to play with her. Um, yeah, uh, basically. It's oh, just, he's the it's... official photographer for Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, <laughs> really? Well, no, I mean, just look at the photography. Oh, yeah, it's fucking yeah, yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, just like the shots that he's getting. Like, obviously, I'm quite. Um... <laughs> Stella, shut up! Obviously, I'm quite like biased because it's an industry that I have a lot of interest in already. But like, just some of the shots are just incredible and really fucking beautiful. Um, so yeah, if if you like industrial stuff at all, then I definitely recommend checking it out. Which it's V I K T O R, not V I C T O R, which is the problem that I had when I first started looking him up. Um, but yeah, that was uh, someone at CMA was recommending um, that I check it out and. It's so fucking good. Um, and just like almost any one of these uh, photos, I would quite happily have as like a poster uh, on my wall. So yeah, go go have a look and check that out. Um, right. Is there any other business? Not for no. me. No. Cool. Uh, I think the only bit for me is to say that obviously myself and Brett Tholomew and also Erasmus apparently uh, will be at Makers Camp um, next week so if you're there come and say hello uh, hang out if you're not going to be there then you're missing out and you should get tickets for next year because it's going to be really good um, but yeah so that's it so if you want to see us or get hold of us you can find us in all of the usual social media places you can find me at Moonshine Metaworks you can find Brett at Skull and Spade 13 and you can find Al at Al's Hack Shack Hot Shark! <laughs> oh. uh, and if you can find us as a group, we are FWT Podcast uh, in places or just Fools with Tools. Just search for Fools with Tools and we'll probably pop up. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Uh, so, until next time, uh, we love you all and we'll see you then. Bye! Bye.